Hello, my name is Giovanni and this is Social Medicine, my weekly therapy session wherein we delve deep into the issues that are on my mind. Have you ever had these preconceived notions about a group of people you never even interacted with? Or maybe you've interacted with someone you didn't like and decided to apply your negative thoughts about them to an entire social group that they are a part of? This is prejudice and I think in one way or another we have participated in this, all of us. It might not reach to the extent of bigotry, but you might have decided to associate certain qualities with certain people. Fiction and psychology is taught us that doing this labeling people based on certain qualities or fitting them into certain archetypes. Older black women in movies are generalized as loving sweethearts with an authoritative streak. Gay men as flamboyant and effeminate gossiping machines with a sense of style. And Catholic or conservative families as prudes that work to further push socially restrictive agendas for the main character to overcome. I've just given three examples dealing with race and age, sexuality, and religion, but every descriptor or social group is ripe for generalization and stereotypes. Today, we will get to spend time discussing one such group of people, often associated with things that do not serve to properly describe the goals or intentions of the community as a whole. That's right, today we'll be talking about furries. Furries, at the most basic and vague level, are people who are interested in anthropomorphic animals, the operative word being interested. What do I mean by that? Why the interest? Well, these are questions that I myself had before I made an effort to inform myself on the subject. So we're going to get to what the word interest encompasses and why such an interest in anthropomorphic animals exists. And before I go on, I must add that I am not speaking from experience here. I myself am not a furry, simply somebody who tries not to remain ignorant over as many issues as possible, particularly when it deals with entire group of people's livelihood and freedom to exist and express themselves however it is they choose to express themselves. Okay, let's talk about furries. I'll actually be starting by going over some of the preconceived misconceptions perpetuated by the media and those on the internet. I think it's important to get these generalizations and misconceptions out of the way in order to better give you all my understanding of furry culture. I think one of, if not the biggest misconception about furry fandom is that they are all a bunch of sexual deviants. For one sexual reason or another, they are part of the community in order to obtain sexual satisfaction, which is a similar misconception levied against the gay community both historically and contemporarily. It's almost like people directly go to claiming who are sexual deviants just because they don't understand them. The crime television series CSI has a special connection with the furry fandom, which you wouldn't expect. They seem to be polar opposites, right? Well, I never said it was a positive connection. The season 4 episode Fur and Loathing from 2003 was instrumental in the depiction of furries as sexual deviants looking to engage in orgies while wearing their fursuits, also known as yiffing, an image still strongly associated with the fandom 16, 17 years later. So what do actual furries have to say about this association? In 2000, significant point in furry history is when the CSI episode, Fur and Loathing, comes out and sort of paints the fandom as this like crazy sex fetish cult, which really, really diminishes the reputation of the fandom. Because obviously CSI is a documentary. Oh, people are so strange. They think that these furries are having sex with one another. Dig deep enough, yeah, you can find that, but that's not the case for Eric or any of his friends that I've ever met. I really would actually prefer if, if people didn't know in my personal life that I do this. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but there's certain social connotations that kind of come with it. It just keeps things a lot simpler. People are way more excited about cartoons and cosplaying as their characters than they are necessarily to do sexual things within furry. My only context around what furries are is from like a CSI episode where there was like 
furries having kind of like a furry orgy and it was and then one of them gets hit by a car but so it's kind of negative and it's strictly sexual so I guess my first question is is being a furry strictly a sexual thing Absolutely not. That is by far the most annoying misconception that everyone always say, is it sexual? Is it a kink? Is it a fetish? Sexual. Sexual fetish. Fetish. No, but of course there are people who are in it and do that stuff, and that's perfectly fine. People can do whatever they want. People can enjoy themselves. But on a base level, it's just about art. It's just about costumes, and it's just about being yourself. What would you say is, like, the worst criticism, I'll say, that you've probably gotten for, like, your hobby? The most irking thing is when people just kind of disregard all of the creative individuals and talented individuals that make this art, make these costumes, and make everything, and just kind of chalk it up to all being a sexual thing. Mm. It's like, it's really unfair to say that it's a sexual thing in its entirety, but unfortunately that's how it gets portrayed very often in the media. Of course, it'd be naive to say that the sexual subset of furry fandom doesn't exist, but it would also be disingenuous to assume that because some people do it, they all do it. Being sexually active with one another is not the only sexual accusation levied against furries. Another is that their interest in anthropomorphic animals stems from a sexual attraction towards animals. In other words, furries are seen as engaging in bestiality or at least using their participation in the fandom as a way to satisfy those urges. I'm sure that this was the first thing that some of you thought of when you heard me describe furries as those interested in anthropomorphic animals. Some often use the existence of furry porn as a justification for this as association. I think the idea of anthropomorphizing animals, not just with furries, but even dating back to the golden age of Disney and Hanna-Barbera cartoons, and even some of your favorite cartoons today, is that the process of anthropomorphization is meant to give human characteristics and emotions to animals in order to emphasize their emotions and reactions. This, on its own, may seem like an argument for furries as being into bestiality, but further ahead, I will go over two aspects of furry fandom that would be counterproductive with this notion, namely dealing with the interse intersectionality of the furry fandom and the LGBT community, as well as using fursuits as a way to overcome mental health issues such as anxiety and depression. But the notion of furries being attracted to animals isn't entirely based on illogical generalizations. There is a group of people who do identify as being sexually attracted to animals, and it would make sense that some of those people express their interest in attraction through a fursona. These are called zoophiles. And whether or not these people deserve to be shunned for their sexual desires is a discussion to be had at another time. For now, I just want to make the point that these are two different groups of people. Some zoophiles may be furries and some furries may be zoophiles. But saying that they are one and the same is not just untrue. It's also one of the false narratives I hope to dispel uh, with this episode. Furries are pedophiles. That's something that I would often hear on the internet. I think the, the idea is that adults would only dress up as cartoon animals in order to lure and groom children into having sex with them. I think that thought process is flawed, as it would then have to be applied to cosplayers, Disney, and school mascots, cl clowns, those who participate in Halloween, you know. And not to mention that not every furry has a fursuit or dresses up. A lot of them just create a fursona that they use to interact with others online. So then we would have to include everyone who watches cartoons, anime, Disney movies, and I guess people who play video games. It just doesn't make sense. With that logic, everyone's a pedophile. Has there and will there be examples in the future of furries being sexual predators yes of 
course, just as there have been and continue to be examples of sexual predators in all the communities I just named. That doesn't mean that they are the norm and those who aren't pedophiles are an exception to the rule. This is when and how generalizations get very dangerous. Furries are often mistaken with Therians or other kin, which are those who feel like they are spiritually another animal, be it cat, dog, wolf, deer, what have you. It is very easy to associate the use of anthropomorphic animals as a means of self-expression with a spiritual connection with a different species. Now that I'm on the subject, I think it's important to note that not only is shitting on furries because you think they are other kin a piece of shit ignorant move, but also shitting on actual other kin or Therians because they are the way that they are, I think that's equally shitty. And I'm not talking about making a joke at some expense, I mean actual verbal or physical abuse towards someone who is living life how they choose to live it. Do I think other kin are weird? Sure, by definition, it's weird. It's not very commonplace to see someone act like a horse or a snake because they connect to these animals in such a way that most humans would never understand. On the same note, is it weird to be non-binary or gay? Of course, societal norms dictate how we are supposed to live our lives, and for so long were we programmed to think in terms of binary gender and heterosexual lifestyles. But now more than ever, we are seeing people be themselves and live their life how it best suits them. So just because something is technically weird, it doesn't mean we should shit on it. As long as it isn't hurting others, why should we care? With that in mind, let's talk about that intersectionality between furries and the LGBT community that I mentioned earlier. The most ignorant of us would have no problem in claiming that gayness can be measured by one's actions and self-expression. That straying from the norm, in this case, man as masculine and woman as feminine, is a sign that one is gay. That men who wear pink take care of their skin and hygiene and don't partake in propagating misogynistic rhetoric are gay. Or that women who don't dress in typically feminine colors or clothing or who aren't submissive and are instead outspoken are gay. Well, this same mentality follows the notions that ignorant people have of furries being gay because they are furries, which is just another example of circular logic that makes no sense whatsoever. But it is important to note that, quote, furries are seven times more likely than the general population to identify as transgender and about five times more likely to identify as non-heterosexual, end quote, as noted by Dr. Courtney Plante, Plante? a researcher and co-founder of the International Anthropomorphic Research Project. Is this reason enough to generalize all furries as being gay? Well, seeing as how people who do make these generalized assumptions mean to do it derogatorily, then it is doubly wrong to think this way. If anything, this shows that the furry fandom is a more open and inviting community, and after hearing about all the stigma attached to the community, there's no mystery as to why it is that way. Before I talk about what I found furries to actually be, I have to touch on the topic of generalizations. Generalizations of any kind should be avoided. I truly believe that there are there's no such thing as a positive generalization or stereotype, even when it's a quality or skill that is generally deemed positive by the general pop public, such as, you know, all Asians are good at math or all Mexicans are hardworking. These universally applied traits replace one's individuality and help to erase one's sense of self and pride. This is something I see occur a lot within left-leaning communities. They especially, ironically, fall into this trap when arguing against the use of negative stereotypes by others. They say something like, Mexicans aren't lazy. They come here to work jobs that Americans don't want to work. Not only are you generalizing all Mexicans as being hardworking, but you're inadvertently saying that Mexicans equal undocumented immigrants. And neither of these traits should be classified as being negative, of course, and most reasonable people don't, but it is still a problem. You see this a lot, especially with what's going on in our country right now. You see people glorifying, revering, and damn near deifying black people as a way to defend them or to show their allyship, which in turn comes off as people treating black Americans as a monolithic group of victims, as opposed to individual humans suffering differently, and to varying degrees, from the systemic issues that have been ingrained 
in the very fabric of our nation and its institutions. All this to say that when we talk about social justice issues, there's a way to go about it that doesn't diminish each person's experience into a general cut and paste story. This does nothing to get at the root of actually bringing attention to and attempting to solve the problem and instead comes off as a lazy attempt at social justice allyship. Now it may seem like I just randomly decided to throw that in, but it was important for me to start this next section by saying that as I will be talking about some of the traits and desires that furries have from being a part of the community. That's not to say that these traits apply to every single furry in existence, but they definitely do help in explaining what it means to be a furry, which I think is a good is which I think is as good a time as any to define it. Dr. Courtney Court now I'm leaving this part in. Dr. Courtney Plant he defines furries as fans. He says, put simply, furries are fans. In the same way that Star Trek fans are fans of Star Trek and sports fans are fans of sports, furries are fans of media that features anthropomorphic animals, that is, animals who walk, talk, and do otherwise human things. At first glance, it seems like anthropomorphic animals are a bizarre thing to be a fan of. That is until you realize that most North Americans today grew up watching Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny cartoons and reading books like The Tale of Peter Rabbit and Charlotte's Web, and continue this proud tradition by taking our children to see the film to see films like Zootopia. Sure, the intended audience of these works may be children, but the same could also be said for Star Wars and Harry Potter, a fact that has not dissuaded the millions of adult fans of these series either, end quote. Within this framework of fandom in mind, let's dive into what it looks like. The first thing that one thinks of when hearing the word furry is most likely the colorful and impress expressive fursuits, which have become synonymous with the fandom, and with good reason. Although only a small percentage of furries actually own a fursuit, they're both time-consuming to make or very expensive to buy, around two to three thousand dollars, the fursuits are the easiest way to connect someone to the community, at least in the real world. Most furries simply create online personas and are a part of the community through the art that they create. I've come to learn that the furry fandom is one that celebrates art and creativity, both in the art that is created through drawings, fursuits made, or in the self-expression self expression when in character. Research has shown that when it comes to anxiety and depression, the percentage of furries that suffer from them is comparable to that of the general populace, with the percentage of those with Asperger's syndrome being slightly higher in the furry community than in the general population. So no, furries aren't nervous wrecks or socially inept weirdos as at least not every one of them is, but it is easy to understand why anxious and depressed people do turn to the furry fandom. Expressing yourself through your fursona serves as a way to combat these negative thoughts and feelings. You don't have to worry about other people looking at you and judging you when they don't know what it's that it's you under that fursuit. You are not only allowed to express yourself artistically and in a way that you aren't normally able to, but you also get to do it without worrying about others' opinion of you. This goes with the final point I had, which is that furries seem to just want to be accepted. That's something that is true of everyone, I think, and who wouldn't want to be able to live your life how you wish without the fear of being shunned or socially punished for it just because people don't understand you. That intersectionality with the LGBT community can be largely explained by this. The furry fandom is an open and accepting community. I mean, who are furries to judge when they themselves are social outcasts? Gay people can be accepted here and find warmth and friendship where there might not be any in their household or school or community. Trans people can create a fursona and wear a fursuit that better represents not just their personality but also their gender identity. Overall, it's a fandom that seems to accept people and allow them to identify and express themselves in any way they want without fear of judgment. Something we non-furries could learn from. Not every member of a given group 
group lives up to the stereotypes associated with said group. And it's important for us to make an effort to understand individuals before passing judgment. These are the two ideas on my agenda for this episode, so I hope I did a good enough job at pushing them. Being a furry is weird, it's different, but it certainly isn't something that should be shunned. As Dr. Plante said, this is just like any other fandom community, where people with a common interest come together and create these social bonds that release large levels of oxytocin. This was a short episode because I didn't want to get bogged down into deep explorations of different aspects of furries or to find an extensive amount of clips to support my points. This episode was very straightforward, which I think was necessary for me to make my equally straightforward points. There's no need to find clips when what I'm saying, it's pretty self-explanatory. I'm personally very interested in the furry community, and after this pandemic dies down, I look forward to meeting up and maybe even attending certain furry conventions in order to gain a deeper grasp and understanding on the fandom, and because it honestly looks like a ton of fun. I'll always support people finding healthy ways to self-express. If anyone listening is a furry or knows a furry, feel free to reach out, especially to let me know how good of a job I did talking about your fandom. Okay, that's going to be it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show and appreciate the time and effort I put into researching, writing, recording, and editing it, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash social medicine. There's only one tier of a dollar a month, and that's for anyone who enjoys the show and wants to help build it. I sincerely appreciate anyone who has made it this far. Please let me know what you thought about this episode, okay? Hope you enjoyed it. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Remember to stay safe and stay sane. Goodbye. I'm a 24-year-old adult, and my hobby is dressing up as, as a blue cat on weekends. I wanted to, to be able to actually like wear, you know, from head to toe, look exactly like uh, I do sort of in my head. Courtney is a furry, one of a growing number of people who believe that they are part human, part animal.